All right. Good morning, everybody. Do you have your Bible with you? Good. Hebrews chapter 11 is where you need to go. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have your Bible with you, please grab one from the pew rack right in front of you so you can follow along as we study God's Word together, engage this living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword word. Last week, we saw the author of Hebrews continue to motivate the people to actually do what he had called them to do. If you remember back several weeks ago, he said, let us draw near, right? Let us hold fast and let us consider one another how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And he's been trying to motivate them for the last few weeks to actually do those things, not to just hear them and say, oh, that's nice. Those are good ideas. Those are things we might think about doing. But rather, he's trying to motivate the people to actually do this because we want to be those kind of people, right? Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so we saw over the last couple of weeks, he used a variety of motivators to spur them to action. First, he threatened punishment. That if you, if you don't do these things, there will be eternal punishment. We're talking about life and death here. We're talking about heaven and hell here. And so he gave them the threat of punishment and a stern warning. Then he talked to them about stories of past faithfulness, the faithfulness of God to them, and the faithfulness of them to the Lord in the midst of difficult times. And then last week we looked not at a threat of punishment or stories of faithfulness, but the promise of reward. He said, if, if you do these things by faith, if you demonstrate your trust in the Lord by doing these things, there is eternal reward. God will not fail in, in recognizing these things. And then he wrapped it up with this, this amazing statement of confidence in them. He says, we're not of those. We're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but that those who have endurance, right, who have faith to endure. So we talked about those things last week as he called them to endurance. He made clear in the midst of all that that the key element in endurance is faith. It's not just about toughness. It's not just about discipline. It's not just about commitment or dedication. It is about faith. Faith in the Lord and trust in his word. This week in our study, we're going to begin to look at what is probably the most familiar part of Hebrews for many of us. And I want you to understand right off the bat today that Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is not a standalone document. It's part of the broader whole of this letter, which is part of the broader whole of the New Testament, which is part of the broader whole of God's word. Chapter 11 of Hebrews fits perfectly with the rest of the book of Hebrews. What we will see today is the introduction to this section as the author outlines how faith operates before he gives this what scholars refer to consistently as voluminous set of examples of people who actually lived by faith. So in verses 1 to 3, we're going to see this kind of definition, although it's not a definition in the, in the normal sense, it's more a description of what faith is. And then for person after person, example after example, he's going to say, this is the way Abraham lived by faith. This is the way Moses lived by faith. This is the way Noah lived by faith. This is the way the other heroes of our faith live by faith. This is what it looks like to be people who live by faith. So, even Hebrews chapter 11 serves to help people endure, to hold fast, to not give up, to cling to Jesus, even when life gets tough. By giving this definition and all these examples, he's still encouraging endurance amongst the people. One scholar described chapter 11 this way. He says, poetic in its cadence, panoramic in its historical sweep, and eminently relevant in its challenge. 
this chapter called the believers to faithful endurance by use of voluminous. He's not the only scholar that uses that word. They all do. Voluminous testimony from the lives of ancient saints. So listen to me clearly. If you have loved and cherished Hebrews chapter 11 for your entire life outside of its context, I believe that you will love and cherish it uh, exponentially more as you see it fitting into its proper context. Like if you get all excited about Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, before our study of Hebrews, I think you will be even more appreciative of it as we study it in its context. So check it out, Hebrews chapter 11 today. We're going to study verses 1 through 3. This is what God's word says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let's pray together. God, we are um, very thankful to be together in this room today, to see our brothers and sisters to hear from them about how life is going, to join our voices together and sing praises to you. We're thankful to be together as we hear your word. It's good to be together. But that means nothing apart from your presence in this place. It is better to be in your presence. And we believe we are. We believe you are here amongst us, working in our lives, dwelling, inhabiting the praises of your people. We believe you're here, and we want more than anything today to have an encounter with you, to have a life-changing encounter with you. And so we ask you to work in our hearts, speak in a way that only you can to our hearts, and change us forever by your grace, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we dive into the text today, it's important for us to remember that the author of Hebrews is not in, this, in these couple of verses giving us an exhaustive definition of faith here. Rather, we need to remember that, that he's speaking to a specific group of people at a specific time in history who were dealing with some specific issues. And he's seeking to help those people endure. Now, there is application for us, right? Because we, too, are tempted to turn away from Jesus and go back to our old lives. When life gets hard, we're tempted to walk away from Jesus and try to find hope and help somewhere else. We need to remember that the author is speaking to these people specifically. Beyond that, we need to understand that he's not really giving us a definition of faith as much as he's giving us a description of what faith looks like as we seek to endure in difficult times. In other words, if all you know from the Bible about faith comes from these two verses, you will not have a biblical doctrine of faith. The Bible says a lot more about faith than in just these couple of verses. And so this is a specific aspect, a specific facet, if you will, of what faith looks like in the lives of people whose lives are difficult and are being challenged to endure. George Guthrie gives his summary of this section like this, and this is gold. We're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon today and review it. But this is what he says about faith. He says, faith is confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's commendation 
and reward. Not condemnation, but commendation, where God says he approves, he endorses, and he rewards that kind of faith. So that is a fantastic definition. That's a fantastic summary of everything that you're going to see in Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to see every little bit of that summary play out in the lives of dozens of faithful people in the history uh, of the scriptures. So uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. I know some of you are trying to frantically write it down. We'll come back to it in a minute. I'll try to post it on social media so you can have have it, um, but that is good stuff right there from George Guthrie from Union University. So look closely at the text here in verse 1. The author of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word that is translated as assurance by the New American Standard, translated a couple different ways in other translations, it comes from a word that essentially communicates the idea of substance or firmness. It can be understood as confidence that word is sometimes used to refer to a collection of documents that established ownership. So sometimes that word is used to refer to a guarantee um, or a proof of something. So, so what we're talking about here is solid foundation. That's part of why we sang the songs we sang today. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, has been laid for us here in his excellent word, right? We don't, we don't stand in our faith on shifting, shifting sands. We stand on a rock, right? We have a stable foundation. So um, he's used this word before in chapter 3, verse 14, when he said, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. He's talking here about a firm, solid confidence. This word is, is all about uh, being calm and courageous. It's about resolute confidence. One scholar I was reading kept using the word certitude. When he talked about what our faith looks like, it's not some kind of nail-biting pie in the sky. I hope this is the way things turn out. I hope this is the way it goes. But rather, it is a steady, confident, solid, 100% certain, certainty, right? So we notice a few things here. First, this kind of faith, with this kind of faith, there is a sense of certitude or confidence, not wishful thinking, not doubtful and unsettled, but rather certain, confident, steady. Second, this kind of faith is directed at the Lord, who is, who is the one who spoke the promises in his word. We can have this kind of certitude, we can have this kind of confidence and assurance because of the faithfulness of the one who has made the promises. In fact, read back to chapter 10, verse 23. Chapter 10, verse 23, this text that we've been studying for quite some time now. He spoke this idea pretty clearly when he said, Let us hold fast, fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Right? Why can we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering? It's not because we are especially strong. It's not because we muster up some kind of confidence or assurance. Our assurance and our confidence is not rooted in us and the strength of our faith, but it's rooted in the one who has made the promises. Right? His faithfulness. His his steadiness is the source of our confidence. So there's a sense of certitude and confidence. It is directed to the Lord who has spoken his word. And then third, we need to consider what are, what are these kind of things that we hope for? He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So what are the kind of things that we should be hoping for? Should we be hoping for a new car? 
Is that the kind of stuff that we're hoping for, or a new job or a new house? Should we be hoping that the Cubs repeat as World Series champions? Is that the kind of thing that we're talking about hoping for here? No, I hope not. <laughs> Spoken like a true Cardinals fan right there. <laughs> Set you up for that, right? Put it right on the tee, and you took it. Good. Good. So those are not the kind of things we're hoping for. We're hoping for deeper things, eternal things, right? Things like the triumphant, victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ that we sing about a minute ago. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, right? That's, where I'm, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm hoping for. But I'm not hoping for that like I'm nail-biting. I'm not sure if this is going to happen. I'm longing for that day, certain that when that day comes, I will be found in him, right? We want to look forward to those kind of things. We want to hope for the resurrection of those who have died in the Lord Jesus Christ and the transformation of those who are alive at his return. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And when you die, when you die, if you ask me or your family asks me to preach your funeral, I will read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 at your graveside to be a comfort to your family so that they won't be uninformed about what happens to those who fall asleep in the Lord Jesus. That it is they who will rise first and be caught up together with the Lord in the air, right? And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's what we're hoping for, right? But we're not hoping for it like we're biting our nails and saying, I'm, I'm like 60% sure that's going to happen. If that's the way you're approaching it, you don't have the kind of faith that the author of Hebrews is speaking about here. What else do we hope for? We hope for future glorification in heaven for all of eternity because of God's grace that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. We look forward to heaven. We look forward to seeing him face to face, no longer through a darkened glass dimly like we do here and now, but we see him face to face. We hope for that, right? But we're not hoping for that like we're biting our nails and saying, mm, I, you know, the odds, the odds are this, and the preacher has said this all my life, and I really hope that's the case, but I'm not real sure. No, we need to be sure and confident, right? I read a story uh, this week about a man who had taken a bold stance for the Lord, bold witness for the Lord in a time when that would get you in a lot of trouble, right, in a time of persecution and trouble, and he was dragged before a judge, and just before that judge condemned him to death, the judge looked at him and asked him this question. He said, do you really think, do you really think that the likes of you will go to God and his glory? Do you really think that's going to happen? And this man looked the judge square in the eye and said, I don't think so. I know so. And immediately they took him off to his death. That's the kind of faith we're talking about here. That's the kind of faith we are called to have. That's the kind of faith that will help us endure when times get difficult. Because I'm telling you, if you've got that like 60% certainty or even 80% certainty that these things are true and these things will come to pass, when life goes sideways and it gets really difficult, you will walk away. But the people who, are, who endure are the people who hold fast, right? Who have confidence. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's what he says in the first bit of the text. So if your faith is wobbly now, it will crumble, I believe, when life gets difficult. He goes on and describes faith with another phrase. Not only does he say faith is the assurance of things hoped for, he says faith is the conviction of things not seen. One scholar was talking about that idea of conviction. He said, we're not talking about a static emotion of complacency, but something lively and active. 
not just a state of immovable dogmatism. So catch this. We're talking about that assurance as this steady rock, like I'm standing still, I'm firm and resolute. But he's talking here about conviction being more lively and active. He goes on and he says, it's not just a state of immovable dogmatism, but a vital certainty which impels the believer to stretch out his hand, as it were, and lay hold of those realities on which his hope is fixed and which, though unseen, are already his in Christ. So not only are we standing still, we're reaching out and we're taking hold of these realities that we cannot see yet. It's not just fixed, it is lively and active, uh, proactive as we hold on to these promises that God has made. He says it's the conviction of things not seen. I believe there are two categories of these things not seen that he's referring to here. One category would be those things that belong to the spiritual realm. Things, things in the spiritual realm that we cannot see. Here we would talk about angels and demons. Here we would talk about this spiritual battle that's taking place. We, we, here we would talk about those spiritual things that we cannot see, like the reality of heaven, right, that we cannot see yet. Um, uh, like, you get, where I'm t- you get where I'm going with this, right? So one category of the things not seen belong to the spiritual realm. The other category of things not seen are things that belong to the future, Tomorrow is a thing not seen. Ten years from now is a thing not seen. Neither of these are unseen to the Lord, right? He sees things that are spiritual that we cannot see, and he sees the future because he's created it and holds it in his hands. So these things are unseen to us, but they are seen to the Lord. And by faith, we live with conviction and confidence and certainty that these things are real and true. Charles Spurgeon says it like this on the board. He says, though these things, though the things are only hoped for and not seen at present, the eye of faith can see them and the hand of faith can grasp them. Faith is more mighty than any of our senses or than all our senses combined. That's good stuff right there, right? Like you can't see it with your eyes, but you can see it with the eyes of faith. In fact, another scholar made a similar reference when he said faith is the organ with which we see unseen realities. These things, these things we cannot see with our physical eyes, we see by faith. Look at verse 2. He goes on describing faith and he says, For by it, I think the it there is referring back to faith, by faith the men of old gained approval. Now if you were here... Six months ago, a year ago, as we were studying through Romans, we, we dealt with this exhaustively in Romans, right? Specifically with the character of Abraham. How is it that Abraham found good standing with the Lord? How is it that Abraham found approval from the Lord? Was it by circumcision? Was it by being willing to sacrifice his son? Was it by some kind of work, some kind of offering, some kind of action that he took? No. Abraham, the scripture says clearly, believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham found approval before the Lord, not because of the things he did, but because he had faith, because he trusted the Lord. And to be clear, because he had faith and because he trusted the Lord, he did some things. 
right? His faith, his trust in the Lord was demonstrated in his actions, in his paying of tithe, in his uh, being willing to sacrifice his son, in his being willing to be uh, circumcised. All of these things are a demonstration, a living demonstration of his faith that cannot be seen. So this is basic gospel stuff we're talking about here, right? And the author of Hebrews is going to come back to this in a couple weeks when we get to verse 6. Look at chapter 12, verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He says, you want to know how to please God. You want to know how to be commended by God. It's not by doing a bunch of stuff. It's by trusting him. And that trust in him will be demonstrated by the stuff that you do, by the way that you live. That's the way it works with the gospel. So he says, for by it, by faith, the men of old gained approval. And then verse 3 is maybe the most difficult part of the whole day. He says, by faith, we, that's totally different from the way the pattern is going to go for the rest of the chapter. For the rest of the chapter, it's going to be by faith, this guy. By faith, this lady. By faith, so-and-so did this and this and this. But here he says, by faith, we. So he's bringing us into it. So he's giving us a little bit of an example of what the operation of faith looks like in our lives here and now. All right? So we are the first called to the stand in this voluminous, lengthy list of examples. He says, we. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now we believe that God created the world out of nothing. The the Latin phrase behind this, if you read about it in theology books, would be ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God created everything that exists. And this passage is consistent with that understanding. But this passage by itself is not sufficient to defend that doctrine. The good news is this passage is not alone in expressing that idea. We don't build our whole doctrine of creation, specifically creation out of nothing, from just one verse in Hebrews. No, throughout the scriptures we see that God has created everything that exists simply by speaking it into existence. It's not as, he, as if he was just arranging raw materials. No, he is calling things that did not exist into existence by the word of his power. Right. So God spoke everything that exists into existence. And believing that is primarily a matter of faith. We we weren't there. We didn't see it happen. But he told us about it. In his word, he told us how it went. In Genesis 1 and countless other places. And we can trust him at his word. And so to be a creationist is primarily a matter of faith. It is not exclusively a matter of faith, however, but it is primarily a matter of faith. So can science be helpful in this? Can science help us be people of faith who trust that God made the world by, by his word? Absolutely it can. Science can be a help. In fact, all over social media last week, there was a guy in Carbondale, some professor in Carbondale, giving a series of lectures from a scientific perspective about creation. He was basically defending creationism from a scientific perspective. I didn't go to any of those. I think I know some people. Did you you end up over there? No? Okay. Uh, 
I think I know some people who went to those. And so this guy is trying to say from a scientific perspective, no, God really did create everything that exists. Science can be helpful. Science can affirm these things. But if our understanding of the creation of the world is primarily a matter of reason and logic, we've missed the point. Reason and logic can help affirm those things, but it is primarily a matter of faith. That's what he says here in the text. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, to understand it that way is a matter of faith. And we can be firm and resolute and confident in our understanding that God spoke the entire world into existence. I was reading one guy, he, he told this silly story about some mice. As he was trying to illustrate this, he told this story about some mice who lived their entire lives in a piano. So the, these mice lived in a piano and, and their entire world was just kind of surrounded with this beautiful music all of the time. And in the early days of these mice lives, uh, they, they saw in their mind's eye by faith that there was someone playing the piano. That there was someone who was making this beautiful music that surrounded their entire lives. And so that's the way they lived. They said, oh, so-and-so, isn't, isn't he making beautiful music today, right? They didn't, that's what they thought. And then one day, one of the little mice, he got brave and he started to venture out into the piano. And he came across the strings. He saw the strings that were in the piano and he went back to his other mice and he said, no, no, guys, we've had it all wrong. From the beginning, we've had it all wrong. It's about the strings, the, the strings are making the music. There's not some magical person out there that's making music. It's all about these strings. And so the, the mice all got together and they said, we can't deny it. There are strings and the sound is coming from the strings. And then another mouse got a little bit more brave and, and he ventured out a little further. And he said, he came back and he said, no, 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 guys, it's not about the strings. There's a thing that comes down and hits the string. And if it wasn't for that thing, the string wouldn't make any sound. So where the source of all this is the hammer that hits the string. And so they all said, we didn't know this. We didn't know this until now. It must be that the hammer controls it all. And then another mouse, he got a little braver and he went out a little further and he found, he found that that hammer was connected to a lever that went to a key. And he said, guys, 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 we've had it all wrong. It's not about, it's not about strings and it's not about hammers. It's about this lever. The source of it all is coming from this lever. And so they, they got further and further away as they understood the way the process worked from the true understanding, Right? Because it has always been the pianist who is making the music. Sure, he's using some of these elements. Sure, the lever is important and the hammer is important and the string is important. But the source of it all is the pianist. It's not those other things. And, and I feel like that was a pretty good picture of what we've done sometimes. Like, people used to just assume God made it all. And then they started looking and venturing out and they saw something and they said, this is it. Well, that thing is real and true, but that doesn't mean the source of it is not still God, right? And then someone reached out a little further and said, no, this is the source of it all. No, 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 it still stretches back to the pianist, right? I thought that was a pretty good story. Pretty good story about some mice that lived in a piano. Maybe you'll remember that, maybe you won't. So he says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God created, by the word of his power, everything that exists. Nothing exists that God didn't speak into existence. He's the source. He's the creator. He's the owner. He's the judge of everything that exists. By faith, we believe that. 
Science can help us, but it's ultimately a matter of faith. Let's go back to this quote by George Guthrie about what faith looks like. And we'll tease this out a little bit before I tell you a story that's not in chapter 11 that I think really brings this point home. George Guthrie says, Faith is confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. Notice a couple things in that definition and, and have this kind of as your framework as we move forward and we talk about these individuals. First, faith involves confident action. We have a tragic misunderstanding of faith in the church in America. We think faith is some kind of internal, private, invisible thing that it's, it's, it's only happening in here. No, no, no. Biblical faith is always in action. It's always in action. It's not just some private thing that, that you have in your life and it doesn't have any impact on the way you live. No, faith always involves confident action. Also, notice that faith is action taken in response to the unseen God and his promises. It's, it's not looking to ourselves, it's looking to the one who has made these promises, who has spoken them in his word, and we're trusting in him. We're moving forward with confidence, not because we have an extra amount of faith, but because the one who promised is faithful, and he's proved it over and over and over again. He is the source of our stability. He is the source of our confidence. Notice also that faith involves God's working extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people. Like some of these folks that you're going to see, you don't know anything about them. In fact, there's going to be a point in Hebrews chapter 11 where he's going to list three guys that we don't know a thing about. And yet they are heroes and examples of faith. These are ordinary men and women just like us living in extraordinary ways because of the extraordinary God they serve. Notice also that faith works in a variety of situations. Some of these people are living by faith in times of plenty in times of victory, in times of success. And some of these people are living by faith in the most difficult times you could imagine. This living out of faith comes in a variety of situations. Do we have a variety of situations represented in this room today? Or are all of your lives exactly the same? Did any of you have a good week? Did you have a good week? Raise your hand if you had a good week. I'm happy for you. Any of you have a bad week? Yeah, it happens, right? You're not alone in that. We have a variety of situations, and faith is demonstrated in a variety of situations. Notice also that Guthrie says faith has a variety of outcomes. It's not always a win on the earth. We're going to read at the end of chapter 11 that there were some guys who were fed to lions and sawn in two. By faith. By faith they were fed to lions and sawn in two. That is not what Joel Osteen will tell you. Joel Osteen will not tell you that your faith will lead to you being fed to the lions. But God says it, there may be a variety of outcomes on this earth, but the good news is faith always leads to commendation from the Lord and reward from him. I think George Guthrie is right on in this summary. And I think as we study chapter 11, we will see that fleshed out, right? I want to tell you a story from God's word that I think demonstrates this. Not, I don't know why they didn't make it into chapter 11. I don't know why uh, the author of Hebrews didn't tell this story, but it's a great picture. It's why we had Bailey sing the song that he sang a while ago, Burn Us Up. That's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you know that story, but it is a fantastic story of what faith looks like. So these guys 
were living in a foreign land because God's people had been exiled. They've been taken away from their land and placed in another land under an evil king whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. You'd probably be evil too if that was your name, right? <laughs> you just wake up angry if your name was Nebuchadnezzar. And this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he was pretty full of himself. And at one point, he declared himself to be a god. And he built a larger-than-life gold statue of himself. And he declared throughout all of his kingdom, in every language that was spoken in his kingdom, he said, all of my people, when the, when the horns sound, when the music plays, you must bow down and worship me. So this edict went out across his kingdom and there were three guys in particular who were followers of the one true living God. Their names were, uh, they're better, best known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they heard this, they said, we can't, we can't bow down and worship that golden idol. We can't bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar like he's God. There's only one God, and we will worship him. And so when the music played, they didn't bow down. When the music played, they didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar as if he was God. Well, people began to notice this. Maybe some people that were jealous of them for some other reason. And they tattled on him. They tattled on those three guys. They went to the king and they said, hey, there are three guys here that live in my neighborhood. And when the music plays, they don't bow down. And the king said, you bring them to me. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you one more chance, boys. I'm going to give you one more chance. When the music plays, you bow down and worship me. And they said, oh, king. We don't need to give you an answer to this. We serve the true living God. And we will not bow down and worship you. And then they went so far as to say, we believe our God will save us. We believe our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship you. That sounds like confidence to me, doesn't it? That's not like, I'm 60% sure. 60% sure I'm on the right track here. And I'm willing to risk it. That's not the way it sounds to me. It sounds like these guys are absolutely confident. And you know what the punishment was for someone who wouldn't bow down and worship the king? You get thrown into a fiery furnace. So when these three guys said, we're not going to bow down and worship you. We believe our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship you. And when they said that, the king was angry. In fact, the Bible says his face twisted. You got to be pretty angry for that to happen, right? You've seen that in your mom? Some of you kids do something crazy and her face twists around. You're in big trouble then, right? And they were in big trouble. In fact, the king said, I know the furnace is already hot, but servants, kick it up a notch. Seven times, seven times hotter than it usually was because he was so angry about these guys and their defiance. He saw it as defiance. We see it as faith in the one true living God, right? Seven times make it hotter. And then he instructed these men to be bound, these three men to be bound and throw in, thrown into the fire. And the fire was so hot at this point, the servants that threw them into the fire died. Just throwing them into the fire, opening it up and throwing it into the fire. Those guys died. And they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And the king looks in and he says, what in the world? Didn't we throw three guys into the fire, and yet I'm looking, and there are four. And one of them appears to be the Son of God. And so he immediately commanded that these men be brought out of the fire, that they be rescued and brought out of the fire. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, the Scripture says 
They were not burned. Their clothes weren't even singed. It even says they didn't even smell like smoke. <laughs> and the king said, that's crazy. Just a paraphrase, right? The whole thing is a paraphrase. <laughs> the king said, that's incredible. And he issued an order throughout his whole kingdom that the people who worship the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship should be left alone because he's real. This God is real. I love that story. I love that story because I want to have faith like those guys. When life gets difficult and under threat, I want to be able to stand with absolute confidence and say, my God is able to save me. He is able to save me. And even if he doesn't, I will not compromise. I will not bow down. Burn us up. Burn us up if that's what it takes. Because I'm so certain that what lies beyond that furnace is eternal glory. I'm willing to take it. Now, my question for you in application day is, does your faith look like that now? We live in an easy place. No one's going to the fiery furnace this afternoon, right? No one's being threatened like that. My question is, does your faith look like that now? Do you have that kind of confidence and assurance and certainty, certitude? Do you have that now when times are good? I think we have this picture that if, if we were in the front of the fiery furnace that we'd take a stand like that. I think we all like to think that about ourselves. But I don't know why, I don't know why we think that about ourselves when we don't live with that kind of confidence every day. The good days, when things are easy. Why do we think that we would have that kind of faith on the difficult days? So I want you to consider what your faith looks like today. Does it look like this? Does it look like this confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward? Is that what your faith looks like? I want to communicate to you that faith is the key to everything in this life. Faith is the key to justification, to have a right standing legally before God. It's about faith. It's not about work. Sanctification is even done by faith. We do it with eyes fixed on him, trusting him and his promises as we seek to grow in maturity. Perseverance and endurance, the key is faith. It's not toughness. It's not courage. It's faith. It's trust in the Lord who makes promises. The key to glorification is faith. There will be no one in glory that doesn't trust in Jesus Christ. Faith is the key to everything. And I'm confident that the more we know the Lord, the more we can trust him. That, that's, that some, let me say it a different way. Sometimes our faith is limited because we don't know the Lord very well. How can we trust his promises if we don't know his promises? How can we trust his heart if we don't know his heart? How can we trust in a God that we don't really even know? I think the more we know him, the more we can trust him. And we get to know him like this, getting together like this and talking about his word small group Bible study, personal spiritual disciplines. This is how we get to know the Lord. and We grow in our trust of him in that way. Let's stand together and pray. God, we, we thank you for instructing us, teaching us what faith looks like in this text. Thank you for the countless examples that we're going to see over the next several weeks of men and women who live by faith. And we want to be men and women who live by faith. 
in a variety of circumstances, with a variety of outcomes. We want to be people who live by faith, who, have, who take confident action in response to your promises. We pray in these next few moments that you will help us evaluate our own lives, our own faith, Help us to assess it appropriately, realistically, in light of your word. And God, I pray that as we do that, we'll be quick to turn our eyes to you, to see you and know you and trust you, that our confidence will not be rooted in our strength, but in your strength, in your faithfulness, in your character. We want to be. We want to be people of faith who don't just have it and possess it internally, but who live by faith in every moment. God, make us into those kind of people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.